0: question one of the words we sang in the last song was evangel it's not a word that you come to too frequently what does it mean someone what does it mean evangel (laughs) well sometimes you you have loaded questions don't you (laughs) good news evangelize tell the good news and so as you come to words like that sometimes it helps to go back and look at them and you find how these words are tied to other words evangelize means to tell the good news evangel is the good news and it is about the savior Jesus Christ as we prepare to look at God's word together this morning please turn to Isaiah chapter 42 Part of this passage I read for a call to worship this morning and it's a joyous and glorious call to worship As we continue to go through the Christmas season one of the things that I'm trying to do is look at specific passages I think I'm going to focus specifically on the book of Isaiah But specific passages that proclaim, prophesy about the coming of Jesus Christ What do they tell about him? What promises are the people Given regarding Christ in the Old Testament And so we come to a joyous promise in Isaiah chapter 42 together Let's read God's Word If you have a Bible I would encourage you to turn to it as I read aloud from God's Word Here is my servant And this is God speaking here Here is my servant whom I uphold My chosen one in whom I delight I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. And that's where his speaking ends. This is what the what God the Lord says He who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to it peop- to its people and life to those who walk on it continuing the Lord speaking I the Lord have called you in righteousness I will take hold of your hand I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people And a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things they've taken place. New things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. And then we are told, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of sela sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come to look together at your word this morning, we ask that your word would have its desired effect in our hearts and lives, that your Holy Spirit would begin right now the process of applying it, that our lives might be different as we face the reality and the absolute truth of your word. Give us great joy in the promise of a Savior made through the prophet Isaiah. Give us great joy in knowing that this prophecy was fulfilled and that everything you speak is always completely true and accurate and comes to pass, even as you have said. I pray that my words would be faithful to your word because your word is holy and your word alone is holy. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at the world around us today, we realize the importance of this passage. Now there are many of aspects of this passage in Isaiah, as there are in various passages throughout Scripture, that have already come to pass, as well as elements of them that are yet to be completely fulfilled. We look at this passage and it is promising the coming of a Messiah. I'm sounding like I'm from Massachusetts. the coming of a Messiah, let's get this straight here, (laughs) who will be a completely just judge. A completely just judge. And with Him and through Him will come complete justice. Now we're looking back and we're also looking ahead, aren't we? We're looking back, we're seeing the fact that Jesus Christ came, and yet we look around us in the world today and we say if he came and this prophecy was to be accomplished at his coming Why is there still injustice in the world today? Because the prophecy goes beyond the coming of the Messiah To the second coming of that same Messiah When the complete fulfillment of this prophecy takes place As we look around us As we look in our own lives and the lives of our neighbors and families We realize That this prophecy is desperately needed for people to have hope. What do we see in the world around us? Injustice? Unfairness? Everywhere. In all situations and circumstances. I don't doubt that if each one of us were asked right at this moment, name an unjust situation you know about you could name one immediately it's on your mind that has occurred to a family member now I'm maybe stepping out on a limb, of course I can't do it, but we know about injustice we have experienced it, we witness it on a constant basis and so that is why we come to this passage with joy in our hearts because we are a people who desire to grasp a hold of hope. And as we look at the world around us, we have a desire because we are made in the image of God to make things right. We want things to be right. We want things to be as they should be, perfect. We want laws to be righteous and people to obey them. That is part of God's work. Through our conscience. And in His people through the Holy Spirit. So as we come to Isaiah chapter 42. And we see the promise. The coming of a Messiah. Who will be a completely just judge. We rejoice. Because we say. That is what the world needs. That is what the world needs. What is justice? Deuteronomy 25 Says this: When men have a dispute, they are to take it to court and the judge will decide the case. Two parts: acquitting the innocent, condemning the guilty. Two parts: acquitting the innocent, condemning the guilty. 1 Kings 8:32. This is uh, a prayer to God for his action. Hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty, bringing down on his own head what he has done, declaring the innocent not guilty, and so establishing his innocence. As we look at the world and desire justice, we realize that these are the two things that make up justice: that the guilty would get what they deserve, and the innocent would get what they deserve which is that their reputations would be unscathed, perfect, and blameless. And everybody around would see that and say, that's right. This person is innocent, and that is right. This person has committed this act and is guilty and is getting what he or she deserves. (coughs) But we look at the world and the effects of injustice are everywhere. Because we see The guilty, do they get what they deserve? More often, well, that's a conditional statement. Frequently, no. Do the innocent get what they deserve? Again, frequently, no. Frequently, the guilty get very little punishment, if any at all. Frequently, the innocent are blamed and get punished. <clears throat> so, I don't know how many of you see have seen the movie High Noon it's one of the best westerns and what happens is there's a particular villain who has been sent up by a US marshal and a judge in a small town he was guilty of murder and they expected him to be executed for it the story is based around his being freed and coming back to town to get back at the marshal and the judge and any others who were a part of sending him up. Now the judge in this movie has a very interesting viewpoint which he shares with the U.S. Marshal. The U.S. Marshal comes into his office to see how they can prepare for the return of this villain and his gang. And he finds the man with his saddlebags putting books in, putting all of his possessions in the saddlebags. What are you doing? I'm leaving town. Why? Well, it's an ancient story, and he goes back in history and tells about a city where the same sort of thing happened that is about to happen in their city. And what he knows from his reading in antiquity is that those who were innocent... Were turned upon by the people of the town, and those who were guilty got the assistance of the townspeople to kill the innocent ones. And so the judge is on his way out, <clears throat> and he tells the U.S. marshal, "If you're smart, you'll get going too." <laughs> it's a great story. You'll have to run it and watch it to see what happens. <clears throat> this judge had no faith in justice. What he believed in was in situations like this in the miscarriage of justice. And he wasn't willing to fight for justice, only to run for cover when there was danger. On the world scene today, we see countless examples of injustice. One of the things that is similar to this that has been in the news over the past several years is the situation in Colombia, where a number of judges have been killed by the drug lords. The judges have gone into hiding. People have refused to be judges because of the fact that there is no justice. The drug lords reigned and ruled the day. Over the past years, we have witnessed numerous cases of the miscarriage of justice in our own country. Many of them played out in the courts of California. You can think about them, tick them off in your mind. And these are the international, national sorts of scenes regarding injustice. <coughs> but we don't need any help seeing the desperate need for true justice in our land. We can see it all for ourselves. What we see in our passage as well is the glorious story that there is a Savior who is to come from God. When he comes, he comes with divine power, and he comes with divine favor. Now, there's a wonderful part tucked in here, which speaks about the fact that this just judge who is coming, the Messiah, has no need to call attention to himself through artificial means. He doesn't shout, cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. Now, there were many people who cried to Jesus for attention. Look at Matthew 20, verse 31. The crowd rebuked these men who were blind and told them, Be quiet! But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us! Crying out in the streets, shouting in the streets, are artificial, insistent means of drawing attention. This is the way in which Jesus' brothers suggested that he get the attention of the people and proclaim himself as a ruler and a savior. In John chapter 7, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposefully staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, his brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. In essence, shout about it. Tell everyone. Start the presses running. Crank out the news. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. And having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also. Not publicly, but in secret. Loud noise insists upon being noticed. Loud noise will not take no for an answer. (laughs) Witness earlier in the service. Please turn down the volume. (laughs) We see in our culture today, many people walk around, perhaps not in this community, but in many communities, with boom blocks as blaring... Many people definitely in our community drive around with stereos cranked up so loudly you could think that the thump of their subwoofers is the beat of your own heart. You cannot miss them, you cannot ignore them. These people want to draw attention to themselves in public, whatever it takes. Why do they do this? So that people cannot go about their business without turning to look at the noisemakers. These noisemakers are simply saying by the volume of their entourage, look at me. Hey, look at me. I don't want you to miss me. Watch. If you don't look now, I'm going to be gone. Look at me. Our conclusions when we run into these kinds of noisemakers are that they are rude and inconsiderate and that in all reality they have nothing of value whatsoever to say but it frequently takes quietness the time of quiet meditation to consider this and come to this right conclusion because loud noise is like a magician's trick it distracts the mind preventing it from analyzing and evaluating we read elsewhere in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 this is what the sovereign Lord the Holy One of Israel says in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness And confidence is your strength. For the Lord and for His people, His power is found in the fact that He does not have to raise His voice. We see this evidenced in the coming of the Messiah in the New Testament. Because the people were used to the teachers of the law speaking in certain ways. And we have no indication that they stood up and shouted... Although we do know that on street corners they proclaimed things in a loud voice so that people would see that they were doing good works when they were giving money to the poor and such things. Yeah, they did have people who blew trumpets for them, didn't they? So that others would notice. Oh, oh, isn't he good? He's giving money to that poor person. Oh, that's so nice. Bless you, bless you. (laughs) Jesus was not that way. We find that the crowds, the peoples were were amazed by him. Why? They were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You see this borne out every day in homes and families, if you go out in public or in or, or are in homes with children. When you are witnessing people who have authority, With regard to their children. There's no need to raise your voice. If the authority is there. It doesn't take shouting. And that is what we see about this Messiah. That he had authority. That he had power by his very presence. He did not need to say. Listen to me. Listen. Although at times. When the message. Was of the utmost importance he cried out because I looked it up where did Jesus cry out there are specific places where he cried out he cried out Lama Lama Eloi Eloi Lama Sabachthani my God my God why have you forsaken me and then he cried out again before he died in the book of John we read that he cried out several times listen to this message it never was a trick it never was a here you are look at what I'm doing to please you It was, look at God in your midst. Why do people shout? Why do people cry out to draw attention in false ways? Jesus, as a righteous judge, did not come as one to lord it over the people. It would have been so easy for him to do this. We have evidence of the fact that he is the one who had all the power, did not come in a way which demonstrated all the power. He came and was born in a stable, in a manger, among cattle, among shepherd boys, the lowliest of the low. He demonstrated instead of ruthless and uncaring power and injustice, he demonstrated instead compassion. The beginning of our passage indicates to us that God calls him my servant. He's a servant. He's not a lordly master. But don't get confused with the different parts of scripture here. Jesus Christ came here, and he says it himself. I came to serve. I came to be a servant. Think about this with regard to a judge. How many people who are judges are servants? Are they servants or are they lords ruling it over the people? We see that he came as a servant. We see that the Spirit of God was guiding him in all his judgment so that he had and continues to have unerring accuracy. What do you want in a judge? What do you want in a judge? If you are going before a judge, well, it depends on whether or not you're guilty, right? That's where we get to the beautiful part of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's where we get to the beautiful part of our passage. The first thing you want, you want a judge who will be unerringly accurate. Always. When you try to make a decision in a situation where you don't know all the facts, it is very difficult. You do not know full story on this side. You do not know the full story on this side. Jesus Christ, the judge, knows all things. Now that means that he can say, this is right and this is wrong. But we can go even further than that. Because we see that there is something that goes beyond who did this and who did that. We know that there is why. Why? Now we don't frequently get into that with regard to judging. Because it is impossible for us truly to know, although that is the basis of the different degrees of murder, isn't it? Was it premeditated? Was it unintentional? Was it in the patient and heat of the moment? And so we look at Jesus Christ as the judge, and we know that he not only knows who did what, at what time, where, and who else was involved, but he also can look right down inside the heart, and he can say, this is why. This is why. Now, if you are like I am, we are all sinners. We realize that we are promised a just judge, and we tremble, because we realize that if Jesus knows all of those things, then He has caught me in numerous, countless, innumerable sins. Countless ones. And not only that, He has also caught each one of us every time that we took a temptation and went farther with it than we should have, just in our minds. We thought about it, we mulled it over, and we enjoyed thinking about it. Jim was talking about a policeman coming up to you on the street. What happens? When you come over the top of the hill and you're going pretty fast, some of you never go pretty fast. I'm talking about 25, 26, 27 here. <clears throat> when you're going pretty fast, you come over the top of the hill and you see that white car over there. Say, for instance, right by the fire station <laughs> down there, yon Andy's house on King College Road. You come over the hill and that police cars right there <laughs> how many of you would do that how many of you <laughs> even if you're not speeding it, it, it happens it, it, that, that result is just automatic isn't it that's what happens when we come to, to Christ as the righteous judge as the just judge who knows our deeds and knows our hearts we quake because we are sinful people there is no way of getting away from the fact that he knows our sins now this is the basis where this passage makes or breaks you this is the basis where that evangel makes or breaks you do you accept word of the Lord that says you are a sinful person in need of salvation through this righteous judge, or do you say in your heart, "Ah, uh-uh, no, it's not true about me. I'm, I'm cool. I'm okay. I'm not really sinful. I'm just, I'm just you know, I have a few faults and things." We see in our passage a beautiful story because the story in our passage tells us this. It says, "A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out." What does that mean? That means that Christ distinguishes between the wicked and those who are seeking to follow Him. What you and I need to do, before I go any further on that thought, what you and I need to do is we need to accept His message that we are sinners, and we need to accept salvation and trusting in Him and His sacrifice alone. We don't need to look at that bruised, reed and smoldering wick idea and get the idea that as long as we're struggling on our own to get where he wants us to be, that's okay. It's not okay. The whole message here is a proclamation of the salvation found through the just judge Jesus Christ. There is no salvation found anywhere else. He is the one, as we read in our passage, it is his law. (coughs) How can he be the judge? Because He's the one who has set down the law. How can He make right judgments? Because He is the only one who is able to read our hearts. And does read our hearts. But the beauty of this here is He promises this. If you or I are struggling, we are seeking to bring pleasure to Him. Seeking to bring glory to Him. He's not going to say, Oh buddy, you blew it. You've had it. You're done with. Bruised Reed." Nah, you're gone. He's not going to see that smoldering wick, which is trying, struggling to bring pleasure to him, to throw a bright light in the world. He's not going to come up to it and say, "Oh man, you, you're you're really not doing all that well." we'll just, you're gone. His joy is in that. His joy is in the fact that he says, "Bruce Reed, I will not break." smoldering wick I will not blow out my desire is to take people who are struggling and broken and to make them into what they desire to be in me not to destroy them but then as you and I look at the world around us our first response needs to be to quake in our boots, in our shoes in our slippers, our thongs, our sandals whatever we've got on we need to quake because that is what turns us to Christ for salvation. Our second response, if we have quaked and turned to Christ for salvation, needs to be to say, thank God that I do not have to rely upon the justice that is found in this world. Because there's a world coming where everything is going to be made right. Because that is the other message of our passage. A bruised root he won't break, a smoldering wick he won't burn, uh, blow out. But, a time is coming. That time is coming, and the judge is waiting to judge. So as you and I look at the injustice in the world, we need to recognize that we are sinners in need of God's mercy, <clears throat> and go to Him for mercy. Do not just recognize it. Go to Him for mercy. Plead with mercy from this judge. And then when you have mercy in your grasp, look at the world around you and say, Injustice, I see you everywhere. But there's going to be a time. That is where the hope of our salvation lies. That we can look at the world and we can look at all this evil and say, Hey, I don't like it. It does not bring pleasure to God. But I can stand it. Because I am looking toward that day when it's all wiped away. And when God says, Okay, I saw that. I know no one else saw it. I know people ignored it. I know the whole world went about their business saying, Hey, that's right. There's no problem with that. But I saw it and it was wrong. And today is the day payment is going to be made for that. The promise of the coming of the Messiah is a beautiful promise. We have part of it. Part of it is before us symbolized in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In the fact that He has been here. He has come That's why He has left us behind. He's written words about Him. That's why He has sent the Holy Spirit to bless us. That's why He has given us the celebration of communion. Say, I've been here already. I did what was necessary. I died for you. I rose for you. And if you trust in me, you can find salvation. But we also have communion. To be a reminder. Say in our hearts whenever we partake of this communion. Lord, I trust in you. And I'm waiting for that day when you return. Because it will be a glorious day. And I'm counting on being with you for eternity.